0: Trees are poems that the earth writes upon the sky. Khalil Gibran. Trees are sanctuaries. Whoever knows how to speak to them, whoever knows how to listen to them, can learn the truth. Herman Hesse. Trees give peace to the souls of men. Nora Waln. It is not so much for its beauty that the forest makes a claim upon men's hearts, as for that subtle something, that quality of air that emanation from old trees, that so wonderfully changes and renews a weary spirit. Tilda Robert Louis Stevenson. Overview. Phase 1, Week 1 of my three-phase, six-week, sabbatical was spent in Northern California immersed in the redwoods growing massively tall in close proximity to the Pacific Ocean and the Californian-Oregon border, hiking beneath the giant sequoias residing in the Sierra Nevada mountain range closer to Nevada than the ocean, and a side jaunty Yosemite to break up the drives into one long day and one shorter between the homes of the redwoods and the sequoias. Other than the huge disappointment that was Yosemite, it was an inspired week, a week where two of the great trees, one each in redwoods and sequoias, spoke directly into my soul. My only regret with the tree talking was not having enough time to absorb all their ancient wisdom. Hell, I had barely enough time with each to assimilate much of anything other than to dwell in a strong soul to soul connection that was at once completely overwhelming and utterly comforting, sending me flying into the skies while simultaneously anchored to earth, freedom hand in hand with connection. Getting to redwoods, We landed at San Francisco International Airport at 9.50 a.m. having taken the first flight out of Chicago, picked up our one-checked bag, and selected our rental car, a white Hyundai Santa Fe with a detail package above the black Santa Fe we purchased and used for long drives earlier in the year figuring it would be less of a learning curve to rent a car with which familiarity has already been brokered. Getting out of busy San Francisco was more challenging than expected being it was a weekend. I can only imagine how congested the roads are during the daily rush hours which, I suspect, are nothing short of brutal. Sadly, the highways getting out of San Francisco were heavy with litter looking as if the streets had not been cleaned in months. Sad? Wrong word. Disgusting for such an iconic city. The quickest way to cover the 355 miles is 6 hours up Highway 101. We opted for the scenic 387 miles, 9-hour drive up California Highway 1, the shoreline highway section which meanders very close to the Pacific Coast shore with ample views of the ocean. Including stops to ingratiate ourselves with the magnificent scenery and the many sections of the road much too twisty and snaky to come anywhere close to the posted 55 miles per hour speed limit, 20-30 to 30 miles per hour the most common. The drive took close to 12 hours. Many of the sections were white knucklers, challenging to a person spending almost an entire life in the flatlands of the Midwest. Arrival at the cabin occurred well after dark. The cabin key was tucked beneath the entry mat such as the safety of remote areas relative to life in big city Chicago where we use multiple door locks, fence locks, and alarm systems to maintain our illusion of safety. It was an enjoyable 12 hours with rugged ocean views and, further north, through the land of giant trees where bright daylight was so attenuated by the leafy canopy it felt like driving at dusk. The tall trees growing densely captured the light in the canopy thicket where the greenery photosynthesized sunlight into foodstuffs, the basic element in the food chain for many critters eventually nourishing the apex predators before death and decay ooze the nutrients back into the ground where they are absorbed by tree roots assisting tree growth. The perfect cycle, circle pinched into an infinity symbol ad infinitum. I don't fear man will destroy earth though, in human selfishness, there will be a struggle with resilient earth adapting to new glories that few humans will get to experience man will simply destroy mankind and a few peripherals opening gaps for new evolutionaries to ascend reminiscent of the transition forged by the great comet that made life uninhabitable for the giant lizard people whose departure created a vacuum enabling the mammalian scurrying beneath rocks to emerge from the long shadow into a light of their own man has become that long and tooth modern dinosaur and is on the verge geological time speaking of self annihilation the ironic difference man is both comet and dinosaur and will complete this latest epic with our own mass extinction I kinda wish I could be there to witness the final, human cataclysm if only to say, I told you so. Redwoods State and National Parks Redwoods is a jointly managed state and national park system. There is one section labeled national park and multiple units designated state park. When I asked a ranger how to get to the national park, I was told they are one and the same. I could get to the designated national park but it was almost exclusively second growth, smaller trees relative to those massive first growth punctuating the state park sections with their magnificence. I am not normally a fan of forests. They feel constricting, a straitjacket biting my vision, both physical and metaphysical, into a myopia I find sight-limiting and soul disconcerting. I have a strong preference for vast open spaces craggy with canyons and buttes and mesas with their lone, Space trees gnarly with age from growing in challenging conditions of little rain combined with intense sun particles were only the most resilient set seed in the sparse soil growing into twisted, arthritic maturity of bristlecone pines. Days one and two were spent, mostly, in and amongst the redwood giants each a unique masterpiece of evolutionary design weather saplings a few inches in diameter, a 1,000 plus year old in the prime of a long, long life, or laying horizontal allowing the forest denizens to feed on the flesh created ring upon ring over centuries, feed on and absorb the wisdom gained over a lifespan dwarfing that of humans, surpassing ten generations of humans. How arrogant we humans are to assume we are the evolutionary apex rather than another link in a long chain of interconnected species. There is more knowledge in a perpendicularly growing branch heavy with needles than any Trump or Biden supporter than any fool who would vote in a right-wing despot or far left-leaning loony thinking either party gives a rat's turd about them as individuals or as a collective once the vote has been cast and the elected can claim the rarefied's perks of office. Fools. Fools all of them, all of us included. Walking under the welcoming arms of the stately elders, I was acutely aware of my insignificance, of human insignificance, a humbling awareness we all need in spades. Strangely for me, though I laid hands on countless elders, fingered the crevices of the deeply furrowed bark caressed the bulbous burls, rubbed the central core of the feld, or sat meditatively in the voids etched by raging fires, I felt not a single tree spirit. I should not have been surprised for I do not choose the trees that speak to me they choose of their own accord to speak with me. Again and again, I tried to focus on a single tree and draw them into interaction but not a one deigned enter my soul as did the naked relic at Bear's Lodge in Wyoming and the Elder Mahogany at the corner of an elevated boardwalk in the Everglades. Did these local ancients look upon my small body as insignificant, not worthy of their time? Did their intellect view my thoughts as a primitive disease not worthy of their interaction, similar to the way humans view insect people who we murder with barely a thought? Would the trees have stomped me had they huge feet and greater mobility? I like to believe, despite truckloads of evidence to the contrary, I am enlightened, a deeper soul than the common man. But, I am what I am a fool powered more by arrogance than compassion, driven more by consumption than sharing or giving. A harbinger of intellectual sloth rather than a spiritual uniter reaching across intellectual boundaries, if I really were who I pretend to be, the croak of yonder raven would be more than sound waves coursing through the tree canopy before reaching my ears. If I were the sensitive spirit I desperately wish I was, the repeated croaks would speak volumes directly into my amenable soul, and we would experience a type of communion, an interspecies intercourse rich with the exchange of ideas. I would be able to speak raven, speak redwood, know each as an individual negating the need the desire to understand them as a collective of either raven or redwood, as bird or tree, as animal or plant. All self-pitying aside, late on day one, I did meet a tree that sent shock soul waves deep into my heart. Heart not brain for it was an emotional wave rather than intellectual. I recognized the source immediately before I ever laid a hand on the Great One for the tears it pulled from deep within my hungry, hungry soul. The thought bubbling to my mind and then repeating was simply grandfather as in I am your grandfather. I am a great grandfather and am here to gift you wisdom. I don't know if it was radiating this thought to everyone in the surrounding area or was focused on me. I do know that it hit me with the force of an anvil dropped by coyote on coyote. I quickly threw on my sunglasses despite the deep shadows of the forest floor to hide my tears, hide them not from grandfather tree for it was already infusing my soul but from my partner who, in the past, laughed at my outpouring of emotion. It's a reaction leaving me feeling shamed. This tree was partly surrounded by a platform on the trail side allowing people to comfortably approach the tree and pose for pictures. My partner tried to coax me around to the backside of tree away from the other tourists where I could bask in tree's oral presence away from prying eyes, away from judging eyes. I desperately wanted to do as she suggested but the damage begun with the first laughter in Florida deepens with each potential encounter. It is a soul wound, a festering soul wound and I'm a coward in the presence of pain, especially my own pain, most often choosing avoidance over endurance, a dysfunctional behavior I relied on yet again in this instance. While I was on the other side before leaving the platform to circumnavigate the massive trunk, I had laid my left hand on the trunk creating a physical conduit for soul-to-soul connection. That's when the word grandfather hit me again and again. I understood this not as in my biological grandfather but rather as a metaphysical grandfather. This tree allowing me a view into its soul, a telling this was a grandfather tree, grandfather to many of the trees in the surrounding glade. That's when my tears intensified, streaming with urgency until my partner called me to the other side breaking the spell. I walked around despite the ache from serving the link connecting me with tree, tree with me. I now fear I will never understand the message I needed to receive from the magnificent, ancient redwood beings and I will be lesser for not having the courage to cast off my shame and commune with the tree's wisdom, wisdom reaching back into a virtual infinity before my birth. A Book of Poetry I brought reading material with me to occupy my brain on the flights and stimulate my brain between hiking, writing, sleeping. Mostly I read from my Kindle which can host hundreds of books ensuring I have something fitting for every occasion replete with highlighted quotes to inspire and decorate my writings. For this trip, I also brought along a book of poetry. A physical book for poetry connects better when read from paper instead of electronic media. The book is vintage, published in 1933, is inscribed with Holder Reese December 1933. The pages are yellowed, yellowing to a rich brown patina. The biting though weak remains intact. Still, I must handle the volume with the gentleness of a heart surgeon where one slip could, would damage the precious life I caress while reading. This wonderful volume carries the aroma of age, the scent of history, and the uncompromising mind of poet Robinson Jeffers whose body began decaying into dust less than a year after my birth. I was still shitting myself long after Jeffers penned his final poem yet I feel a strong connection with the man's soul not as deep as I connect with the prophet Edward Abbey, but strong enough that I long to meet this man who spoke eloquently, succinctly about the jumbled meanderings of my mind, soul, life not then developed beyond the infantile stages. Thematically, Jeffers's poems, like my writings, often hinge on the beauty of rugged landscapes both external and internal, his of the west coast, mine of the red rock deserts, and both of the tormented human condition. We lament the self-centered short-sightedness plaguing humankind at the expense of respect for the rest, the greater part of creation where we see more value in a single hawk than the human hordes attempting, foolishly, to enslave earth for short-term profit. And we are both patriots who questioned, still question, the validity of blindly following governments into war. He with his steadfast opposition to both world wars. Me still fuming about the Vietnam fiasco and every military incursion since. I don't always understand Jeffers' poetry. However, there are those poems that connect deeply with me at a cellular level fundamentally influencing the convictions I hold dear within my soul. Those poems speak with the authority of Holy Scripture. I think of lines such as I'd sooner, accept the penalty, kill a man than a hawk. Which with every reading send shivers up and down my spine. The lines and others in a similar vein earned him the label misanthrope, a hater of mankind. I think of the sentiment, choose to interpret from his penned words, that he, like me is not a misanthrope, but rather one who understands humanity is but one evolutionary offering in nearly infinite varieties that are neither more nor less important in the great scheme of life than the smallest organic or the largest beast to have ever graced the planet we call earth, or trees which selflessly supply the oxygen most life requires to survive. We choose not to glorify man but see man as another evolutionary adaptation that will eventually run its course. Hopefully being replaced by a dominating species, one that respects earth and her children in all their incarnations. I feel, In Jeffers' imagery, those thoughts expressly written by Edward Abbey, words that long ago rooted in the soft loam of my young, impressionable mind. No compromise in defense of Earth, wrote Abbey. I first learned of Jeffers while reading Abbey. I would love to be able to compose with the strong, stark imagery of Jeffers and the uncompromising wit of Abbey, the eloquence and consuming passion of both. But I am what I am a worm defiling a lush, red apple, crisp and bold on the outside, riddled with decay internally. Never will I approach, even tangentially, the magnificence of their literary offerings. This I accept but will never stop writing as long as I can form letters with a pen or stamp them out on a keyboard. It is who I am designed to be, and to that, I must be true. A waste of time. Yosemite National Park is considered one of the jewels of the U.S. National Park System ranking number 8 in attendance in the year 2021. We entered high in the west, descending the many miles into the valley. The mountain roads contain numerous pullouts with the mandate for drivers to use them allowing faster cars to pass. The vast majority of drivers were much too selfish to comply with this simple and courteous aspect of single lane, mountain driving. Strike one. They come across to me as trumpers with their I was here first so I'm more important than later comers and refuse to exhibit basic humanity to anyone else. Yosemite Valley was beautiful. I stopped to shoot photos of Bridal Veil Falls and the iconic El Capitan, a monolith of pale granite, a mountain stream flowing between the two, along with hundreds, thousands? Of other people and more cars than I could count in a single day. It seems the other visitors are satisfied by the faux wilderness experience perhaps because they are unable to stomach a true wilderness experience. Everywhere we tried to venture, aside from the mountain road in and out of the park, was jam-packed, car jams, people jams. Strikes two and three. All in all, the excursion into Yosemite was a colossal waste of time, one never to be repeated in this lifetime. I couldn't wait to get to the next site where I could shower off the experience cleansing my body. Soul cleansing would hopefully come at Sequoia National Park. Sequoia National Park The Airbnb for Sequoia sits one-half mile outside the National Park entrance. It is on a hill overlooking the park toll booth, a few motels at the road level, and within earshot of running waters. Arrival occurred too late to hit the park which is all good as I had time to recenter myself after the horrendous Yosemite experience. The lodgings are listed as a glamperama which roughly means a single room, an outdoor sink and shower, with a 50-yard walk to a conventional bathroom attached to the owner's house. The drive up to the glamperama was on a private drive passing four other homes over a sharply angled, narrow passageway fitting only one car at a time, and in need of repair. This minor inconvenience was more than made up for by the ambience. It did include a window AC unit, a weak AC unit. Like the little engine that could... It does cool down the room, which is vital to my sleeping comfort. I have an extremely difficult time sleeping hot and sweaty. Inside, a lizard offered greetings. It had similarities to a gecko in the fat tail, but wasn't a gecko or a species I could identify. Not that that matters to either the lizard or me. Had I not loved lizards as I do, it may have freaked me out. But I am an aficionado of legged snakes and realized it was a spirit cleansing the aura of the space along with slurping up insects, making the space doubly clean. Upon seeing me, It bobbed its head a few times and meandered toward the sliding door. I thanked the four-legged person for the duties it performed before opening the door and allowing it to scurry into the brush and play with the other lizard people while avoiding the hungry winged people. It was obviously a lucky lizard as part of its tail was severed. How is that lucky? It means a predator caught it by the tail which the lizard shed allowing it to live another day. The tail will regenerate eventually making it whole again. In my centering, I am writing this at 4 o'clock in the morning at a small wicker table outside the cabin. I sit with my back against a fenced wood pile because this is bear country. The owner warned bears are all over the area and we would likely see some. Her three dogs serve as guardians barking madly and hustling the black bears away keeping the world safe for us fools who choose to sit exposed in bear country to read, write, or gaze at the ample collection of stars overhead while sipping red wine. Despite the dogs for protection, I carry a four-inch gentleman's knife with a narrow blade and a walking stick made of some hardwood. They don't offer any real protection but give me a measure of peace, delusional as it may be. I write this entry in the glow of a red LED headlamp forcing me to switch from red ink to a darker color. Red ink in red light is not visible. The white LED attracted too many moths crashing into my light and face flutter breaking up my concentration to the point it was impossible to put any thoughts to paper. I could have killed them but why? Their lives are already brief enough and mooter could deprive another animal of a much-needed meal. A chorus of coyotes sings in the distance. The temperature is ideal making it a perfect morning for my daily ablutions. At 5.30 still in the pitch of dark, I can't contain myself any longer and we drive into the national park. I was told it is highly likely to see bear at the round meadow. The meadow is about 26 miles in and takes about an hour to reach. The first 16 miles climb a few thousand feet and are some of the twistiest roads I've ever driven. The darkness is dense. All I can see is directly in the high beams. I will learn later when exiting how steep the sides are and how long the drop is if I make a mistake. It was best hitting them for the first time unable to see the potential downfalls. Round Meadows is an open area around which a half-mile paved path flows. The meadow proper is too wet to host sequoia trees. But they are in abundance surrounding the meadows. The walkway is overhung with trees, magnificent sequoias both tender and mature they are girthier than redwoods but a bit shorter. And the sequoia bark is the color of cinnamon in contrast to the redwoods which are typical tree brown. It seems the names of the species should be swapped. Alas, this is Murica where rational decisions are few and far between a place where anti-socialism conservatives profusely extol the virtues of open-market capitalism then get upset when companies hire immigrants to save on wages, an act of true capitalism not realizing forcing companies to hire Americans at higher wages is itself a form of the very socialist practices they denigrate. These are the same people screaming they are patriots and non-patriots should get out of the country yet support the display of Confederate flags, the flag created by people seeking to part from the Union, the very opposite of patriotism logic rarely holds sway over illogical emotions. What's in a name anyway? No matter what label we humans place on them, the sequoia are downright magnificent as individuals. Personally, I would prefer these trees, if they must be named, go by the names originally assigned by the First Nations peoples. Of course, that won't happen because it would give legitimacy to the original inhabitants the invaders fought hard to undermine, people the invaders preferred to stamp out than respect or, God forbid, learn from. This is very similar to the American bison, Tatanka to the Lakota peoples, an animal providing both spiritual and physical sustenance, and everything source from clothing to dwellings to prayer. Such is the history of the gold-obsessed, fork-tongued ones breaking treaty after treaty to invade sovereign lands assigned to the First Nations in perpetuity, or until some get-rich-quick scheme became paramount to establish law. When lawmakers break the law, the law itself has no meaning let alone moral authority. Seeing no bears in the meadows, we walked back to the tree museum before driving over to see General Sherman. Inside the museum, there was a lithograph of trees showing their relative sizes in two dimensions. Included in the lithograph was a representation of Methuselah, a bristlecone pine thought to be almost 5,000 years old making it the oldest known tree, check that, oldest known living being in the world. It's a being I would love to encounter but the location is supposed to be kept secret so people don't cause damage to its physical structure. I wonder if keeping people away damages its soul? Just the tiny image caused a tear to trickle down my cheek. I can only imagine the impact prostrating myself in its presence would have on my own soul. I suspect it would be monumental. General Sherman is purported to be the largest tree by volume in the world. Not sure how valid this claim can be considering there are many dense forests around the globe, the Amazon comes to mind, with countless undocumented trees. I guess, If the country that indulges in American football can claim they are world champs despite only playing teams from one country then I guess it follows we can extrapolate to claim the largest identified tree in the county is also the world's largest. There's no end to human ego. Visiting the famous tree requires parking in an oversized lot, not nearly as densely packed as Yosemite, and walking down a half-mile path into a glade at an elevation of 7,000 feet with quite a few other giant sequoias. I felt its powerful presence even before laying eyes upon the majestic stature. Unfortunately, the tree is surrounded, no, imprisoned by a wooden fence ensuring people do not touch it. Outside the fence, a paved walkway further isolating the tree from any possible meaningful human tree physical connection. Not allowing me to touch the tree is an infringement of my First Amendment, religious freedom. Sadly, America generally upholds religious freedom for the Christian-based religions viewing all others, except possibly and reluctantly Judaism, as illegitimate or in league with Satan. Though imprisoned, I could feel tree's presence, its soul reaching out to mine. As usual, I wept. Strong spiritual connection frequently brings tears to my eyes whether it's connection to tree or sacred lands or a temple scented by age. For a bit I sat on a bench admiring, trying to deepen the budding connection. Alas, the presence of so many and the gulf separating us physically, hindered any strong interaction. I think those in power realize the great sequoia holds massive power so they erected the barrier to keep people from accessing said power if they can't understand it then it must be controlled, confined, or executed. It is the same invader mentality that brutality suppressed the ghost dance prophecy of Wavoka in the 1800s fearing the First Nations would avail themselves of powers forcing the invaders back across the ocean to the lands those white locusts previously destroyed with their greed. Better a white Jesus they could use to manipulate and control. Earth has a power no human can control. Aho! I desperately wanted to lay hands on Wawona, the indigenous name for General Sherman, allowing the power through the bark into my skin. The barrier felt sacrilegious, like keeping one away from their Godhead. Something I found truly fascinating with our limited interaction across space, the connection felt more powerful as I raised my eyes upward toward the area the heart would reside in a proportional human and at the crown, the figurative face of this tree God. The Bible says one can't see the face of God and live. I did see this God's face and not only lived but thrived to tell this tale. I don't know if this truism would hold, the seeing and living parts, if I met up with Methuselah, the ancient mother of all trees, born circa 2831 BC. In Sequoia, I was as close to her as I probably will ever be, 100 miles as the raven flies, 264 miles by car. Even if I could get into the forest where she dwells, finding her would require a ruggedness I, in my advancing years, would be challenged to muster. After parting from Wawona, we walked 10 miles on the graded and paved Congress Trail weaving through many instances of Sequoia beauty the hike took a toll on my knees requiring a couple of days to subside. Still, I harbor a slim, slimming hope to one day reach this personal mecca. Standing in Methuselah's presence, there is no telling how my soul would react, probably complete supplication on the holy ground she has called home for fifty centuries. And if I die in the process whether from seeing the face of God or simply fatigue, hopefully, the nutrients from my decaying body will nourish her roots allowing part of me to become part of tree. On the congress trail, I had the opportunity to touch to caress, to sit mindfully in the presence of quite a few sequoias some standing alone, others in clusters creating an altogether different ambience. Not better. Not worse. Just different. Still magical. Not one sequoia reached out to me nor returned my interest. I felt shunned, defeated. It would be a similar story when, on the next day, visiting the General Grant tree way up in Kings Canyon National Park. The Congress trail loops through the woods returning to the glade with Wawona before the final half-mile uphill hike to the car park. Of course, returning to the glade, I had to take a final bask in the shadow presence of this largest tree. I kept feeling the words holy ground repeated in my heart. I believe those words emanated from tree. I removed my shoes and placed both bare feet on the pavement. I felt absolutely nothing save tiny rock bits and tree needles piercing my soles that shouldn't have come as a surprise for asphalt while giving the illusion of being grounded actually insulates and isolates one from earth. The words holy ground kept echoing now working their way from my heart to my head until I could feel simultaneously in my heart mind holy ground, holy ground. Instantly, I knew what I was being called to do. I slipped on my shoes, walked to the fence, knelt down reached through the fence placing my hand directly on the soil mixed with redwood needles. Wham! Wallop! Holy shit wow batman! I was struck by a pulsing force. I struggled to hold my hand on the ground for more than a few seconds, struggled because the force was so powerfully energetic I was quickly overwhelmed, struggled because I could feel my shoulders shudder with each sob wave and did not want to be seen sobbing by the many people admiring Wawona, struggled because my spirituality is deeply personal and believe spirituality should be kept personal not shared. If asked, I will share but I'm not one of those assholes who pushes my spiritual beliefs on others, an ultimate act of disrespect. I pulled myself to my feet, raised my open arms to Wawona, and engaged in a virtual embrace. It felt so good. Conclusion What to do about wood I love wood the smell, the texture, the various colors from oak white to cedar cinnamon to Gabon ebony, and every woodsy color between. I love the personality of a bowl turned from a gnarly burl, the exotic curly maple scales of a knife handle, deep red-brown mahogany furniture polished to a lustrous sheen. I love the connection with the wild in which tree bursts from seed shooting into maturity before being tamed for use in the household as beautifully functional items, a desk and an office, the red-stained picnic bench I sit on this early morning beneath a local redwood tree. There's a prior connection even deeper than the one I have with wood itself. My father was a craftsman forming slabs of mostly hard oak, sometimes soft cedar into pieces of functional art, a bunk bed lacquered stain so the grain pops, a freestanding, rustic cabinet with wire mesh instead of glass for viewing the contents, and with the leftover scraps, artistic arrangements that I never quite understood. Add to that cherished memory, countless campfires drawing family and friends together for lively conversation on a chill summer night with the wafting smoke keeping the skeeters at bay. Now that I know experientially trees are living spirits, possess a tree soul, are sentient beings, I have a huge dilemma. How do I justify killing a tree just to make things, whether those things are useful or not? It is sacrilege to cut down these living beings that bless earth and her children with oxygen that we may breathe, that provide cooling shade when sun would cook us in our skin, that anchor soil preventing it from slip sliding away so crops and plants may thrive, that gift us abundant foods, nuts and fruits ensuring we and our animal brethren may feast. Armed with this awareness, it would be blasphemy for me to work with any wood not from a naturally dead tree or not, thanking tree for its unique gift when it gives its life that others may live. September 2022